Amen. Welcome to church. My name is Andy John King. I'm the lead pastor here at Lindsay Lane. And if you would, take your Bibles and open them to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 1, Then the people began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw the beautiful women and took any they wanted as their wives. And then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. In those days... And for some time after, giant Nephilites lived on the earth. And for whenever they, the sons of God had intercourse with women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. Now, if you're one of those that loves to study this passage, because this passage is one of the most discussed, sometimes the most debated about who those folks are, we will not be able to unpack that within the next hour, but maybe on a Wednesday night. All right? Verse 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing and all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Lord, there was nobody here, starting with me, that deserves any glory. It belongs to you. Who you are is what we need. We pray, O Spirit of God, that you would guide us into all truth away from ourselves towards the righteousness of God. Would you make plain something that we can really take hold of? I thank you, O Lord, for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, O Lord, that we would realize your standard. Speak to our hearts, each and every one of us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that whatever you think about the world is right now, it wasn't as bad as described in Genesis chapter 6. What is described in Genesis chapter 6 is a world gone wrong. Now, if you hear that, you probably are screaming within yourself, that's what we've got too, a world gone wrong. And I hear what you're saying. But as we read Genesis chapter 6, and I think about today, Most of us here today are all here out of reverence for God, are we not? Many today across the nation, across the globe, are filling sanctuaries seeking the grace and the gratitude, or the grace and the reverence for God. They are wanting to be led by God, the guidance of God to take them from where they are to where they need to be. So no, the world today... While there is certainly a sinner at every turn, there are saved people that are being saved every day because they are being changed by God's Spirit. So now is not then. 
It's not then. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, God observed all this corruption in the world. For everyone was corrupt, is what the Bible says. Not just one people group or one corner of the globe, but everyone. The whole human race was completely filled with their flesh and wickedness was dominating everybody. Nobody feared God, except for one. Except for one. Because the Bible says in verse 8 that Noah found favor with the Lord. With God, with the Lord. This is our series. We studied this last week that with the Lord, everything is possible. And with God, everything is certainly purposeful. What kind of everything? The kind of everything that you can live in a world that is dominated by sin, saturated by selfishness, and you can still stand out as a light with God. You, you can still make a difference in the world. You can still be found faithful by the Lord. Everything around Noah was sinful. Yet, Noah found favor with the Lord. How did he do that? Well, with the Lord. That's the thing. How, did, how was Noah found righteous and blameless? With the Lord is where we're driving at. He was counted, as it says in verse 9, righteous and blameless and walking in close fellowship with God. Now, what we talked about last week was what the walk looks like. This week is not so much about how to walk with God. We're going to take a look this week at who we're walking with. We need to know more about God, so we'll stop coming up with our own ideas about him. We didn't know what the Bible says about the attributes of God and who he is. And so let me, let me just, as a Bible study instruction, hopefully today is not the only day that you hear the word of God. You know, some people groups in the world don't even have it. So, so if we have it and most of us have multiple copies of it, it'd be a good idea for us to read it outside of today. And when we do pick up our Bibles and we begin to read the scriptures for ourselves, first of all, we need to stop making the excuse of we don't understand what it means. If you are a Christian and filled with God's spirit, it is God's job to guide you into all truth. If you open that Bible and want to read it and understand it, God's spirit will make it plain, I promise. He will. But also, there are some approaches that you can take to the scripture from people that have been reading it for a long time that will help you. One of those is this. When you are reading a passage of scripture, I do this the same as I'm instructing you to do it. The first question you need to ask when you read a passage over and over is what do I see? What do I see? What do you observe when you read the scripture and read it for real? The first thing that we see here in this passage of scripture is that God sees. God sees. Throughout Genesis chapter 6, you'll find that God is observant. He sees the earth and its people. Now, I would wager that if we believe that God exists, you may be here today not because you want to be, but maybe that somebody's making you. Somebody's invited you. Maybe you don't believe the same way and you're here trying to be inquisitive and understand. But if that you, if you believe that God exists, even if you believe that God just exists, you more than likely believe that if a God exists, then that God has the power to see the world. So the question is, is how does he do it? Maybe we think that it's a lot like Google Earth. Everybody been on Google Earth? If you haven't, it's really cool. You need to try it out. You go to Google, put in Google Earth. It'll get you there real quick. What you're going to see is, is you're going to see a globe before you. You can pick out a spot on the globe like Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. And you can begin to maximize that globe to where it will take you to the specific location. It's kind of freaky too, to be honest, right? It kind of freak you out. 
But, but it will take you to Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. I know that Google took a picture of this church on a Sunday because the parking lot was full. So if you go there, it's like you're picking a spot out that you want to see and you enlarge it until you can see it. But really it's limited because all you can see is a location and a still shot. You don't really see what's going on. So that's not how God sees the earth. Maybe we think it's a lot like this. I'm standing up here before you. I can really kind of see everybody that's in here, I think. But I really can't see you until I zero in on you. So let's just try it. All right. Miss Teresa's in the back waving at me. That's great. See that? Good to see you. We're going to see her on screen later. Uh, hey, y'all need to stop that over there for real. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm actually getting kind of nauseous. He's like, I don't use these much. But sometimes we think it's like that. We, we can see everything. God can see everything. And then he kind of has to try to zero in. And when he does, he can really see what's going on. And if he wants to see if it's really what he thinks it is, he can move closer. Like that's, that's kind of the way that we think of it. Listen, y'all, it's way more serious than that. Way more serious than that. God is above for sure. But God is everywhere present. Everywhere present. Don't you make that box of God small. Because God is everywhere present. This church is how you know that you can walk with him. If you are in Christ, you have a right relationship with God. You don't know how it all works. One way that will help you is to know that he's everywhere present. So as you are walking and talking or as you bow your head or as you are at the kitchen table in the morning and you bow your head and talk to the Lord, you can know that he is there First, by the presence of God being in the life of a believer, but just knowing in general that the attribute of God is that he is everywhere all the time. He is everywhere present. The scripture recognizes in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, when Solomon was building the temple for the presence of God in Jerusalem, the scripture says, but will God really live on earth? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. God is not contained to this sanctuary. Yes, there's something special about the sanctuary. I believe it. But God's not contained to this place. God's not contained to the sanctuaries across the country, across the globe. He's not contained there. God transcends all spatial limitations and is present in every point of space with his whole being. That's how serious it is. God can be everywhere and is everywhere because he is everywhere present. He does not receive a daily report from his representatives to know what's going on in the world. And what God saw in Genesis 6 as he is looking in, as he is everywhere, a world that was totally corrupt. The world was totally corrupt. Verse 5 of Genesis 6 says this. He observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. Because we put God in a box, sometimes we think that what we are doing can be hidden even from the Lord. I remember one day, there's a Sunday morning growing up, and I've shared this illustration, but I've preached somewhere else the last five years, so I think I shared it there. I'm not sure. Probably share it again because it makes a lot of sense to me, so hopefully I'll be here a lot longer and you may hear it again. But on a Sunday morning growing up, I was probably 12 or 13 years old. My dad was making breakfast. For whatever reason, my mama made almost all of the meals, and they were awesome. But my dad made breakfast, and it was good, too. And he was up on Sunday morning, and he was making biscuits. And I was, you know how we get at 12 or 13. I was so hungry. My word, I'm so hungry. 
And dad was like, well, that's good because I'm making biscuits. Yeah, but daddy, I'm hungry. I, I want more than one biscuit. Daddy, please make me three biscuits. Will you make me three? I'm not going to make you three biscuits. So you're not going to eat them. Parents and grandparents, y'all know where this, this, we do this all the time. Y'all not going to eat them. And I continue to lobby. I, I'm going to eat them. I promise I'll eat them. And I remember what my dad doing, what, what most of us do. I tell you what then, I'm going to make all three of them biscuits, and you better eat every crumb of them. Right? Yes, sir. Well, that first one went down quick, and I ate that second one. But between that second one and third one, I got full. And I'm thinking, I can go to church well, or I can go to church six, sick and make this other biscuit go down. And I thought, I can't eat it. And so I began to look, and Daddy wasn't in the kitchen. And I looked down the hall in the living room. He wasn't there either, and I thought, I've got to get rid of the evidence. And the trash can ain't going to work because he's going to look in the trash can and see that biscuit there and know that that was the one that I was supposed to eat. And so I, I took it, and, and I went out in my front yard, and in the front yard there's a pasture out there, and I thought, if I, I throw this far enough, he won't see it, and no one will ever know, Right? This is what you think about at 12 and 13 years old. Now, I, I didn't have that great arm anyway, so but I was going to throw it as far as I could. But I didn't like just throw it. I took like a crow hop and, and launched it, right? And I mean, it goes spinning end over end like that into the pasture. And I'm like, dusting my hands, this thing's done. I got to get back here and get ready. And I turn around and my daddy's sitting right there on that porch. <laughs> and he saw the whole thing. I mean, he, he watched me look around, crow hop, throw it, and he didn't say a word. He just had a smile on it like it's about to go down now, brother. <laughs> you see, the dark or the distance makes sense to us, but God sees it. He sees all of it. David in Psalm chapter 139 verse 7 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. He is everywhere present. You know what this means? It does not, it means, it doesn't matter if you're in the dark. It doesn't matter if you close the door. Hey, it don't matter if you cross the county line. It doesn't matter if you cross that state line. God sees. He is everywhere present. God sees sin for sure. Wherever you are, there is God. Because he sees. Get the big picture of who you are. But listen, church, it's even more than what you think. Hey, it's what you think. That's how God sees. In the New Testament, a bunch of folks standing around talking. Jesus looking at them, knowing what they were thinking as they were thinking it. He is God. He's everywhere present. In the last half of verse 5, if you will look at chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says that he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. It's more than what you think. It's what you think. It's more than just seeing you close by. He knows what's going on in our head. He knows what's going on in our head right now. The thoughts that we think now. Is this giving you more of an idea of how holy he is and how much we need him? This is who God is. God knows your motives. He knows what drives you. Hey, God knows if you're looking forward more to tomorrow night than you are this morning. Now, I'm an Auburn fan. We don't have anything to look forward to the next year. <laughs> so, God knows. He, but seriously, though, I remember what it's like to sit there, be a teenager, and be a, he knows if we are focused in on what he would tell us this morning and here to worship, he knows the motives and the mind of our heart. 
It's kind of sobering, isn't it? I mean, it really makes you think about who God is. So, so all of these things that we look at that people do, and we think, gosh, I wouldn't do that. Can you imagine me doing that? I'd never do that. But God knows what you, whether or not you thought about it. He knows the things that the, the, the depths of our, our sin and our mind. I, I remember Johnny Hunt sharing that one time. I've never done that, but I've thought about it. God knows that. He knows the depth of, of all that we are. And the depth of what God sees is exactly the depth of what God wants. He wants all of us. So as we observe the scripture and we are talking about who God is as we walk with him, know that God sees. But see, while God sees sin, God also sees faithfulness. He sees it. The, the scripture says in verse 7 that because God is just, he had willed to wipe the human race away, but not to annihilate humanity, but to cut away a big limb so that he could leave a stump of it left to work with and rescue the world from then on. But the devil thought that he had likely won, but God also sees faithfulness. Even if it's one man, one family in a world of wickedness, God sees it because verse eight says, but Noah, but Noah means a change of direction away from wickedness, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Y'all listen, God knows if you're really trying. He does. God knows if you're really giving it your best shot. And if you are really trying and things still aren't working out, God knows it. He, he knows the worries. He knows the anxiety. God knows where your heart is. and He'll speak to it. If you're in Christ, I trust the Holy Spirit of God to make it plain to you. God knows if, if what's going on in your life seems very overwhelming and you don't know if God knows, don't know if God understands, God sees that too. He saw the faithfulness of Noah. Don't you think that, that he knew exactly what Noah was going through. Think about what he was going through. That the whole world around him, everybody was just lost. And it was just Noah trying to do this thing. God saw that. God knows if you're giving it your best shot. He knows that. Now, don't misunderstand. Noah was not saved by walking with God. Noah was walking with God because God saved him. Keep this. Now, now this, this does not discount the whole scripture and take the whole scripture into mind. Grace, grace, as the scripture says that Noah found favor with the Lord. That word favor is also the word grace. Noah found grace with the Lord. Noah was not saved by his walk. He walked with God because he was saved. Grace is unmerited favor. Therefore, Noah did not earn grace from God. He received it by faith, just like we do. Salvation, being right with God, is a two-sided coin, and on one side of that coin is faith, and on the other side is repentance. And so we are saved by God's grace through faith, not of our works, lest we should brag about it. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, as, the, as again, here's another guy that we talk about that the Old Testament and New Testament talks about. When both sides touch him, we know we need to talk about him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, Noah received the righteousness that comes by faith. Know the truth of God's word. There is no righteousness, is no blamelessness, is no walking with God apart from God. So with that, know this. You don't clean up your life and then go interview for God. You don't try to get your story together and stuff straight and then put it on a piece of paper to where you think this might get through, and then put it on God's desk. No, the whole point of it is, is for us to admit that we are sinners in need of Christ, 
and we confess our sins before God and admit who we are, that's who we are so that God will save us. And he's willing. It's God's desire to bless, to extend grace. The emphasis of the flood could be judgment for sin, but there's also an alternate focal point. God's judgment is not without grace. It is not just God's sole will to want to take us all out. He gave his son so that we might have eternal life, so that we may be right with God and live under his reign and his care forever. Now, that's the first thing to observe is that God sees. Secondly, the second thing to observe is is that God doesn't just turn a blind eye to creation. He gets involved. God gets involved with creation. I remember one time we were at a, at a gathering with, with uh, our kids and some other kids, and, and we're all just kind of hanging out. And, and then two brothers uh, kind of across the way, they start getting into a fight. And I'm not talking about one of those fights where like they're pushing and talking to each other and stuff like that, but like they're rolling on the ground, throwing elbows, going back and forth. It's getting a little bit heated to the point of where the redneck and all of us want to go see it. So we walk over, <laughs> we walk over to what's happening and, and yeah, this is for real. Like they're fighting and their dad is like right over here and all of us turn and look at their dad and he's like, Oh yeah, y'all don't worry about it. They do this stuff all the time, man. And we were like, well, that's cool, but now they've got an audience. Like, are you going to, is there anything going to happen? He's like, no, they'll figure it out. And I was like, well, I guess that's one way to do it. And I understand it, but I don't know if that's how I'd handle it. But so that's often how we think God is. God sees all the stuff, this crazy stuff that's going on in the world. And, and he's just kind of waiting back to see if it's really going to get worse than this. And I don't know, they'll probably figure it out. That's, that's not what God is doing. God has a program he's working on, working within. God has created the world, by the way. God has dealt with the world. God has sent his son to redeem the world. God's spirit is working to draw the world to himself. All those folks y'all saw on TV last week, God's spirit is pursuing them just like he pursues anybody else. God is working towards the lostness so that he may be light in the darkness. He's working on that on his terms. God is desiring a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be a kingdom that Jesus rules over and all those who are his will be a part of it in the future and part of it now. He's sovereign and he's involved in everything that we see. The Bible is the story of God's involvement with creation, is it not? The Bible is the story of how God is dealing with the world and what God is working on and how God will deal with people and involve people in it. And this is known as the eminence of God. That is a characteristic of God, the eminence of God. In Acts chapter 17, Paul preached to a group of people saying, he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and exist. God is certainly involved. It's just a lot of times we're thinking, you need to do what I want you to do. How come you're not doing it? God sees the wickedness of the world, but God also saw the righteousness of Noah. And God doesn't stand idly by. He will act. But here's the deal. What we observed in chapter 6 of Genesis is this. God sees, and he's going to act and deliver on his promise. But before he does that, y'all know what he does? He speaks. He speaks. He will, first of all, address it from a position of authority. In verses, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, 
We've, we've always discussed who the sons of God are, if the sons of God are angels, or if the sons of God are the menly, uh, are the menly, are the sons of God are the, are the men from the line of Seth that, that were to be worshipers of God and they went off course and, and now they're just indulging in themselves. But regardless of who those people are, the scripture says that people were only mortal flesh at that time. They were doing nothing but indulging themselves. They did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it, and they woke up again the next morning and did the same thing. That's what they were involved in. And verse 3 says this. Verse 3 said, Then the Lord said, Thus saith the Lord, 120 years and y'all out. That's what, that's what that verse says in verse 3. And in verse 5 it says, The Lord observed, he saw the extent of the human wickedness. Verse 6, it grieved his heart. And then verse 7, And the Lord said, He spoke, I will destroy every living thing. Y'all, he's holy. Why are we going to do all this? God is holy. This is not God as parent in this chapter. This is not God that is warning people away from trouble or or leading people away from trouble. There is a warning and we're going to see that. But this is not God as parent trying to get them to go a different direction. No, this is God as judge. And he is pronouncing the penalty. He has something to say about what is going on before he addresses the penalty. Meaning there was not just the penalty, there was the sentencing. Before the water was the word. If you read Genesis chapter 6, you assume, if you read Genesis chapter 6, that God spoke to Noah, but not to the rest of all creation, so there was no warning. Right? Right? If you just read it right there without really studying the scripture, you're going to think that God saw what was happening, spoke to Noah. The next day there was a boat built, or it may have taken a little while. We're not exactly sure. And then nobody else really heard that. So the flood came, they all died. Noah was saved. That's what we tend to think. Second Peter chapter two, verse five. Listen to what second Peter chapter two, verse five says. God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Did you notice that sentence? Noah warned the world of God's judgment. If you ever thought that God gave the word to Noah, he's going to take the whole world out, but he's going to save him, but nobody knew it. That's not true. That is not the heart of God. Noah warned the world. Your translation may say this, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness or a herald of righteousness. A herald is one that is given a message to deliver to others. What does that mean? That means that God did not say to Noah, I'm going to take this place out and they're going to get what's coming to them. No, God warned the world. He gave them a warning. Scholars say that it took somewhere between 55 and 75 years for Noah to build that ark. That being the case, Noah was a preacher of righteousness and a practicer of righteousness for 55 to 75 years before the world. That's what God had him do, not just build that boat. But I, I honestly believe as I look at the whole of Scripture that if there would have been a revival and awakening that God would have relented. I really believe that God would have saved them. He sent a warning. Why send a warning 
If we're not going to say them, I really do believe that. But, but this is what's happening in the scripture. This means the Lord will surely judge sin, but he was being patient for their sakes so that they would turn it around so that there will be a new day of salvation. What kind of God is it that would flood the world and kill everybody? Well, see, if you say that, you don't know the whole story. Because goodness, he gave them 75 years to turn it. We got people like that all around us. Goodness, even in Christ, sometimes there's sin that lingers on for that time. God's been trying to get it out for a long time. We're going to blame God because God warned us for that long? For a lifetime in some people's cases. What about now? Is God speaking now before the end, before the end of the world, before Jesus returns? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. You think God is trying to reach people now? I'm standing in front of you telling you this. We're teaching on Sunday morning. We're encouraging outreach we're sending missionaries. We're, we're getting funds in, sending missionaries out across the globe. We're doing exactly what God was doing then. And for those who have repented of sin and believed in Jesus, hey, don't miss this, Christians. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for God when we plead, come back to God. Christians, as we walk with God, we are to be Noah in our neighborhood. As we walk with God, we are to be preachers and practicers of righteousness before the people across the globe as we can through missions, specifically in the circles that we influence. We are to be Noah where we are. We are to preach and herald the message of Jesus Christ to get the word out that there is condemnation for sin, but that there is eternal life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're to do. Hey, y'all, if we can stop talking about politics for a minute, maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about something that that matters past what we're seeing on a screen and actually get to the point of what God has for us to do, which is be a representative for the Lord Jesus Christ and talk and have conversations with people that actually matter towards their eternal life and towards their family turning around. If we can get to it, That's what we're supposed to do. God was warning the world through a righteous man. God is now reaching the world through the church. Let's get to work now. I mean, this is really what God is working on. What to know about walking with God? God speaks. And if God speaks, then going back to Wednesday night, we need to listen to him. Especially if we are in Christ. Especially. We need to know what he has said. Y'all, I think we always need to be learning. When you stop learning, you stop getting better. But some of these things, like the scripture addresses, how long will we go over the the basics over and over again? Right? And so that's the fundamentals are always important. We'll always incorporate those things. But sometimes even those who believe that God has saved them don't know God at all. We just saved. Come to church. We need you to tell us. Tell you what? Well, you know, God, he sees things. How does he do it? Hold on, let me make a call. Let's learn it. Amen? 
what to know about walking with God? God sees and God speaks. And if God speaks, then we need to listen to him. Because God speaks his displeasure and judgment for sin because he's trying to guide us away from ourselves. But church, he also speaks promises towards righteousness. You know, there's two ways to come to church. One of those ways is, is we've blown it and we need to hear God's word even though it may not be the thing we want to hear. Or we know when we get there what's going to happen, that when we show up, the conviction's going to start because last night was Saturday and this morning Sunday. We know the difference between the two sometimes. But do you also know that God speaks to righteousness? Things will change in your church experience when you are walking with God and then there's preaching on Sunday morning and you're amening the, the, the sermon instead of oming. That, that there's more confirmation and encouragement than conviction. Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. But I will confirm my covenant with you, Noah. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. What about for us now? What, what, is, what is the confirmation now? What's the, the encouragement and the promises now? Is there's funerals happening all around us? What does God have to say about all these things? John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. I give it to them. I give them eternal life, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish no one can snatch them from me. This is, this is the amen portion of the church, right? And as we go to funerals, as we've gone to in past weeks and preached funerals and done those things, those that are close to us, our heart breaks because we're grieving the loss of that earthly relationship. But when the words of God are spoken over eternity, we ought to say amen and trust that God is working for his glory and our good all the way into eternity. First observation of what we see is that he sees. The second observation is that he speaks. God speaks on these things. Third and final, God delivers. Y'all, there's going to come a time when all this talking's done. There's going to come a time when all the things that we're saying, all the things that we're preaching, all the warnings and the caution, all that's going to be up and over. The God we walk with is the God that makes promises and he keeps them. Just as we see in the scripture in Genesis chapter 7, verse 23, God delivers judgment to the wicked. He said he would and he did. The Bible says God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky all were destroyed. God said that. He saw it, he said it, and he delivered. And then God also delivers the pardon to the righteous. The Bible says in 723 in the last half, the only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat and the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. What God says he will do is what will happen. That, that, that first part, the judgment to the wicked, the second part, the pardon to the righteous. Again, there's going to come a time when all this is up. In the late 1960s, there was a hurricane that was approaching the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. And as some people do, there was one guy that, that started up a hurricane party. So we're going to ride it out. I don't think it's going to be like they say, even according to the warnings from the media and state and local governments. They started passing out flyers that we're going to have a hurricane party. We're going to ride this thing out. Who wants to come? He lived in the third floor of an apartment building. It just had three floors, and he was at the top. And it was, in fact, it was 250 feet from the surf. That's it. It was real close. 
And, and the storm, as it begins to approach, the, the news of this party begins to spread and it gets all the way to the authorities. And sometime short before the, the, the storm actually landed, the actual chief of police went to that apartment complex. And as he goes to the apartment complex, the guy that's throwing this party is out on the balcony on the third floor. And the police chief says, man, seriously, I know what y'all have got going on here. It's worse than you think. I'm telling you, you need to get everybody in there and y'all need to get out of here quick because it's going to get bad. It truly is going to get so bad. I fear for your life. And he held the cup he had in his hand as he was drinking, and he showed him, he said, hey, man, this is my place. If you're going to get me and all of us out of here, you're going to have to arrest me. And the guy didn't arrest him. He said, well, all right. They've been warned by the media. They've been warned by the local governments. They've been warned by the chief of police at their doorstep. But he decided to go one more. So, in fact, he he went up to the third floor, and he took a a pad and a pencil with him, and he goes in the door, and they're all looking at him like, what you going to do? And he says, listen, I'm telling you all again, it's going to get bad, but if you are unwilling to leave, I'm going to need to take down the name of your next of kin. And one by one, as they laughed, he wrote down their next of kin, probably giving them some names that weren't even the right one. He took the names down, encouraged them again, nothing happening, crowd growing, he leaves. That night, around 10 o'clock, the storm hits, winds that are about 205 miles per hour, raindrops that said they hit like bullets. The surf, the storm, the waves, 23 to 25 feet high. And it said that that hurricane was right in line with that little town, specifically right in line with that apartment complex. The next day, that apartment complex was flattened and 20 folks, all 20 out of 20 died. There's going to come a time when all this stuff we talk about that we think is just in the future and we'll get it straight before we go on in. It's going to happen. Now, I'm not Noah and I'm not trying to scare you, but I will warn you. God is still calling pastors and preachers and those to be heralds to take the message of his love and his grace so that you don't have to go through that judgment in that way. God wants to save you. The scripture says he's being patient for that. But one day the warnings will all be over and there will be pardon for the righteous and there'll be separation and judgment for the wicked because God is faithful to keep his promises. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, that the message of the cross is foolish to those that are heading for destruction. We hold those cups up and we're going to be all right. It's foolishness, the message of God and Jesus to those that are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved, it's the very power of God. The difference between the wicked and the righteous is that the wicked believe in themselves and betting on them, and the righteous believe in Jesus And each person in here knows which one we are. We know and God knows because God sees. So either today God's Spirit is drawing you back from where you once were, He's drawing you closer so that you can walk with Him, or He's drawing you in for real to a place you've never been before, a place of right standing before God trusting in Jesus and his blood to cover you and your sins. Again, 
The warning will one day be up. Hear the word of God today. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We open this altar every Sunday. I realize that, that you may be considering uh, distance and space, and we should understand that. We do need to respond to God with what he's putting on our heart, where he would take us, what he's doing with us now. If you want to come to this altar, you can walk right on by us. You can get on your knees, and you can deal with God as God is dealing with you. But I also want you to know that your church and the staff here, we're here to help you. If you want to join the church today, then we'll help you with that. If you've got questions about salvation, you want to be saved. You just need to ask somebody questions. You need, you need help with the questions that you have. We're here for that. If you want to be baptized, if you want to join the church, if you've got other things going on, we want to talk to you. That's happening. We'd love to talk with you. But don't wait. Amen? Don't wait. Lord, I've said all I can say, and I'm trusting your spirit to guide us into all truth over and above what's been said. Lord, I pray that this news, while it may be convicting to those who need to get it right, Lord, it is good news that there is rescue. There's rescue. That there is grace and mercy available to those that are desiring to be saved, God. It's, it's there. Lord, I pray that we would take a next step to take it. Lord, I pray for those of us who are, are right with you, that you're your blood has covered us. We're trusting in you. God, we, we are still here. We still have a, a nature to sin, but God, we are in you. And if there's a struggle, I pray, oh Lord, that we would understand who we're walking with, that you are the God who sees, you are the God who says, and you are the God who delivers on your promises. Lord, would you help us now? Help us as we respond, as we worship, as we leave from here. In Jesus' name, amen.